Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, Episode 80, Fear and Anxiety, Part 1. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. This is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. Now, today I am going to talk about fear, which is, you know, other words for it, anxiety, uh, apprehension, feelings of being overwhelmed, uh, threatened, all these things. And I'm doing that because I was wondering, okay, I've covered all the childhood trauma, I've talked about the impact of that childhood trauma. I've talked to you about what you can do to help heal your family legacy. And I've talked about it many times in many ways. And so I asked a group of my friends, I said, now I've talked about this. um, And I've even reiterated it. What kind of things do you think would be helpful for me? Um, and you know, my group of friends consists of all professional people, doctors and administrators and, you know, so, uh, overwhelmingly they said, let's talk about why people aren't reacting to the situations that are occurring today. For instance, climate change, for instance, guns and how, you know, it's a daily toll and especially the doctors who uh, you know, work with people who are victims of crime and, you know, particularly guns. And, you know, I said, I think that's really good. And it actually goes to what I've been talking about all this time, which is childhood trauma. And uh, fear and anxiety was one of the things that came up. It's like, why don't people respond? And because I tend to be more concerned about these issues on a smaller micro way in a smaller micro way as a therapist for 50 years. So, well, I know most of the time 
when people have experienced childhood trauma, they have a hard time responding to their current life situations, let's say, for adult trauma. So just to give you an example of that micro uh, situation is that if you were beaten as a child, then you are going to have a response to someone threatening you as an adult. So if you were beaten as a child and someone is going to hit you as an adult, there will be different ways that you respond to that versus people who were not abused as a child. So your reaction will be similar to the reaction you had if you were beaten as a child. If you were beaten as a child and the way you responded to that at some point, let's say you froze. So every time somebody tried to hurt you as a child, you froze and couldn't respond to that, then that will be the way that you respond as an adult. If, however, you came back fighting yourself, then you'll probably respond in that way as a child. Now, in terms of fighting, does that mean that, oh, well, somebody's threatening me, I think I'll call 911, No, it means more like somebody threatens you and you're on them before they can even whistle Dixie, okay? So fight, flight, freeze, those are the primary ways that people respond to uh, the fear of being attacked. And like I said, one is, you know, sight freezing, one is fighting, and the other one is running. Now, you know, bring that up to current life and situations that we're dealing with right now. Let's say, uh, you know, the slaughter of children and adults in their life situations, okay? Like Uvalde, like Parkland, like, you know, even Columbine, going back, even you know, the shooter at the Texas University back when I was young. <clears throat> that was horrifying. And people actually talked then about what are we going to do about this situation? At the time, it was more about, oh, this guy's mentally ill. But as we have learned over time, you know, of course, somebody that goes out and takes out a group of people kids in a school, you know, in a, in a classroom or, you know, in a mall or in a grocery store or wherever it is, that person is mentally ill. And I've talked about this before, that hatred of a group of people, it doesn't make a person bad because that's not how we're born. We are not born to hate people. It's a mental illness. And I didn't realize this as a young person, that hatred isn't a mental illness that can be treated with drugs or, you know, maybe therapy would work, but it it's one of those mental illnesses that I wasn't aware you could actually, uh, is actually easy to catch, okay? 
hatred is a mental illness. When somebody hates somebody because of the way they look or who they love, that is a problem. Okay? It is a mental illness and it needs to be treated. So if somebody walks in with a gun because they hate somebody because of the way they look or what they think, what they think that person threatens them in some way that they're not threatening anybody, it's a mental illness. They're not seeing reality for what it is. And, you know, how to treat that? I, you know, it's, it's a hard to treat, even as a therapist. Um, I know in my own life, because for those of you who have never listened to this, you know, I'm, uh, gay and I've had people in my office, in my office that didn't realize I was gay. I don't know where they, how they didn't know that, but, uh, didn't realize that I was gay and were ranting about gay people. We're threatened by gay people. And I remember this one young man who was really threatened by gay people. And he was in my office talking about this fear that had him to the point where he thought all gay people, all gay men, were out to have sex with him. Now, that's called homophobia in the world. It's like, if you're that afraid that gay men are going to have forced themselves to have sex with you, then you probably are a closet case and you need to deal with your own feelings of attraction towards other men. Let me tell you that I have yet to know or work with, and remember, I work with sex addicts, um, but I have yet to know a person who was actually raped by a gay man, ever. I've known gay men who have been sexually assaulted by quote-unquote heterosexual men, but not by gay men. Gay men are not rapists. All right, so these kinds of fears don't have a basis in reality, and yet they contribute to the problem of violence against gay people. It's just hatred. Okay? Hatred needs to be understood on the level where it derives, right? So, so back in, back in my office, when I'm listening to this young man, I was personally a little bit distressed by it, but you know, my job as a therapist isn't talking about my own distress. Um, so one day, you know, it's like I, I talked to him about his own f- real feelings. And we finally got to the bottom of what it was that was troubling him. And it was because, oh, gee, guess what? He was he suffered as a child. He didn't realize he suffered, but he he did suffer because at a very young age, he knew he was attracted to boys. But he lived in a an environment where, you know, his religion didn't, wouldn't agree to it. God knows his parents, especially his father, who was absolutely talking about queers and faggots and everything else all the time. 
and he when he was old enough to realize that oh that's me he got he started having fear and anxiety about that and so what did he do he went into a fight fight or freeze response and decided to fight and he didn't you know he froze his emotions that is real emotions and he put in anger over that and that's how he responded to the world that's how he responded to himself and when he was able to uncover all that and realize that you know he was he was terrified about who he was because he understood that it would be totally unacceptable and his father would talk about killing queers and he thought, oh, that'll be me as a little boy. Now, you know, yes, hatred is a mental illness. The only way to deal with it is to understand it, to find out what that's about. And so I'm going to go from that to, let's say, one of my... uh friends said because we start talking about all of this and one of my friends said she, her concern was that it seemed like people were getting numb to the violence that we deal with almost daily to the fact that our world is burning up the climate change is actually real and we're not responding to that if there's a fire in our house, people run out going, fire, fire. They're, you know, they, they start, you know, trying to put it out. They try to get the people out. And what we're doing is we are trying to find ways to cool off personally rather than looking at, oh, here's a big deal or guns. Okay. Now we know that, you know, a reaction that we're having is that we've gone numb to the impact. And instead of looking at it from a perspective of, well, if all these young men are so angry, maybe we should look at where that anger is coming from. And A, start dealing with it. B, don't make those guns so accessible so that they can go in and slaughter people. And then we look at it on the news, we're horrified for a minute, and then we return to our breakfast or our coffee or, you know, our podcasts that help us feel better. Well, that's all fine and good, but the way to deal with fear because all this is a fear response. You know, even the numbness. It's like, I can't take another dose of this. Well, that's true. But if we don't do something, say, about climate change, well, we're not going to have to deal with the rest of these issues anyway. Because we'll be cooked. You know, we know this. <laughs> so here's the situation. I don't, you know, there, there's this, uh, I'm going to back up a second and say, there's this uh, metaphor 
about heat that has been around forever. I've used it in my own practice when I talk about, you know, how people accommodate bad situations, accommodate their alcoholic parent, their alcoholic spouse, how they accommodate, you know, difficult situations. And it's the one about the frog in the water. Okay. So it's like the, the guy, you know, it's like the, well, the, the guy puts a frog in basic water that the frog is used to being in and then slowly heats up the water. And frogs like being in water. So they just hang in there and hang in there and hang in there. Pretty soon the heat's so high, the frog gets cooked and doesn't even realize that it's getting cooked or it would get out, but it doesn't. That's human race right now. (laughs) So we have learned to accommodate such horrendous behavior on behalf of, say, Ukraine. At first, people are really upset, and then we go numb. And we start to just accommodate that reality. We have a president. We had a president that encouraged people to insurrection. At first, we're horrified. We couldn't stop watching it. And now, if anybody's watching the January 26th investigation committee, we're horrified again. And then when it's over, we go have dinner or we go do something else. It's like we are accommodating these realities. I've watched Europe burning on the news. And I just couldn't stop watching that. I lived through one of the most horrible wildfire seasons that we ever had here. I couldn't, you know, there were almost two weeks where when I got up in the morning, I looked out the window and the only thing I could see was dark. Now we're talking about summer in the Northwest where the, you know, the sun gets up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm getting up at say five or six or even seven because gee, the sun couldn't make it through. There was so much ash and smoke in the air that the sun couldn't get through. I knew it was light. I knew it was day. I looked out. I couldn't even see the tree that sits hmm, maybe 15 feet from my window. I couldn't see it. For two weeks, the only thing I could breathe was smoke. And I was in my house. I didn't leave. But smoke can get in, okay? I don't care how, you know, closed, how, you know, put together your house is. Smoke gets in. That's all I could smell was smoke. I had those air purifiers going. We have a system on our air conditioning, and I do have it, and I'm thankful for it. I had, we had a system that is supposed to clean that out. It came with the house. It wouldn't work. And every day I thought, I'm living in a apocalyptic movie right now. 
and I don't know what to do. Do you? Now, I'm not numb to it, but I'm baffled by it. And But here's something that happened. This is a good thing, okay? I'm going to tell you a good thing that happened. Right now, the, you know, or, yeah, we're still in fire season. Right now, there are, you know, forest fires going like crazy. And, but, not in Oregon. That horrified Oregon. Oregon burned. And Oregon's not like California. It's like we don't, it's like we have the Cascades, they have the Sierras. Um, but, you know, when we have weather systems come in, it hits those giant mountains first. And so, you know, we don't have, we don't have air conditioning from, from the, the ocean as most of California can have because the Sierras are right on the border of Nevada. And there are no mountains, really, to speak of in between. And we have, up here in Oregon and Washington, we have just a little bit of space before those gigantic mountains show up. So most of the state is actually on the east side. And so when the systems and the air hits those mountains, it just stays there. And then the rest of the state is, you know, left with... Well, just what we got. We don't have this kind of air flowing through and moving through and trying to clean the air out. So when we had, when we had big fires a few years ago, um, everywhere, it's like we didn't have any air coming in to help clean out the, the, uh, oxygen. (laughs) So we were just breathing that crap. And I didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. We just stayed in our houses and hoped that it would clear up. And I think that's happening on a, on an international level with the fact that our world is burning. We are burning up. Now, and, and here's, here's, so, so we're kind of numb to it. You know, I don't think about it when I wake up in the morning immediately, but I'll tell you, I think about it as soon as I walk out the door, cause I hike a lot and I find that, you know, and it's like at the, the warmer it is, the higher I have to go to hike into the mountains and the earlier I have to get there. Because I have to be out by 11 o'clock in the morning or I could be in danger of overheating, of getting a sunstroke. That didn't happen before. I could go up and be at the trailhead at 10 o'clock in the morning in the middle of summer and I'd pretty much be okay. Now I have to hit the trailhead at 7 o'clock so I can be back at 11 o'clock so I don't die of heat stroke in the mountains where... It's pretty cool up there, by and large, next to what's going on in the high desert. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, my my uh, siblings and I own a ranch. 
in Utah. And we do have water rights. We do have water on our ranch. Um, and, you know, I, I don't need to go in and talk about water rights and water law and all that. I know more about that than I ever thought or wanted to know because we almost lost them. Uh, so anyway, I have been following one of the news issues. And it's interesting to me that, you know, I don't see this on the regular news. Uh, I don't even see it on PBS. It's like, hello, there's a big crisis going on in Utah. The Great Salt Lake is drying up. The scientists have told us that if that lake dries up and is drying up really fast, there are many ways that that could be apocalyptic for the entire state of Utah. So, one of the things is that it's a major flyway for the birds. So, birds will fly there. This is where they stop to rest, to eat. They eat brine shrimp that have been in the Great Salt Lake forever, for as long as anybody knows. Brine shrimp have been in the Great Salt Lake. And that flyway is huge. In fact, our ranch is on that flyway. And because of the water we have now, the birds are actually stopping there and it's pretty wonderful and all that kind of stuff. But the Great Salt Lake is the stopping point for that huge bird migration. And they eat brine shrimp and they hang out on the water of the Great Salt Lake so that they can continue to fly north and south. So what happens when all those birds show up and there's no Great Salt Lake for them? They die. There's nowhere for them to go. They have to eat. So I'm going to continue to talk about this potential apocalypse for the people of Utah and the, you know, it's like the rest of us too. Nobody dies on this planet. No place completely dies without the rest of us dying along with it. So I'm going to continue this conversation and talk about the rest of that apocalypse next time. I hope you'll join me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2022, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.